Welcome to episode 379 of The Drop, the weekly surf news podcast from your good friends at STAB. I am your pilot, Big Dick Power Surfer, and today we are speaking with not even recurring guest, but recurring host, Paul Evans. Paul is a STAB staff writer, he's a WSL commentator, head of sports sometimes, lines blur there. He's an educated man, a scholar, and Paul and I will be talking about how Kelly Slater can still win the 2023 world title despite missing the mid-year cut. We'll talk about the most popular surfboard models of the past year. We'll cover Nazare's untold origin story and descent into a circus. We'll hit best board shorts and swimwear of 2023 with a little help from our friend Corey. Then we'll talk about what makes surfers such good stunt people. Paul's got a great little behind-the-scenes tale there. We had a little bit of audio difficulty this episode, but we'll get through it. Uh, The conversation, as you might imagine, you might expect, veered down many different avenues, including surf-themed Spanish pornography and performance longboarding. So let's get to the chat. Paul Evans, I have a question. Are you still here or did you... Did you never leave? I've been here the whole time. I hung up with um, Mikey the other day, and I've just been sort of waiting by my by my computer for it to for it to ring. Wow! Oh wow! Flex there, Apple guy. Wait for my computer to ring. Yeah. Um. No, mate. I've just been. Yeah. I was hoping I'd get another call. I didn't expect it to come about so soon. Twice in a week. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was out. Now Mikey's in Waco. We got a little like industry conference thing there on in the moment, so he's there. Um. I would imagine that he. Didn't air, I hope. Yeah, he didn't air, let's say that. Um, and I kind of didn't air in the Canaries. Not really. It was pretty shit. Did the stab bigwigs not, not want Buck at the Waco thing? Or did They didn't want you, mate? Are you feeling a bit left out? Or? No, it's, I think it's because I would have done the best there. You know, it's like a little bit, it's intimidating, really. A bit weird when everyone else at the company gets invited on a, on a work jolly except you, though, isn't it? Slightly orcs. <laughs> No? Ooh, yeah. A little bit weird. I mean, do you think it should have been extended to you as well? <laughs> no, no, not me, but definitely you. Yeah, it's, I don't know what that means, but... Mm. Uh, well, all right, let's uh, get this done before I get fired then. <laughs> Kelly can still win the 2023 world title. We published a story earlier in the week, and since then it's become more of a prophecy, not really a prophecy. It's not going to fucking happen. But what this was suggesting is that Kelly could get the wild card to go compete in the rest of the year. Uh, Pretty much hours before we spoke, that news came true. So he's going to surf the rest of the year. He'll probably still pull out of the events if he doesn't want to, because that's what he does. But in theory, in theory, now that he's officially got this uh, rest of the season wild card, he could get about second, hopefully a little bit better in the remaining five events, go on a Steph Rampage and win the title at lowers. What would you give the odds of that, Paul? Zero percent chance. <laughs> just a hard zero, just binary zero. Zero, zero percent. Um, it's the same for Joanne DeFay. She could make five finals. Now, I'd say that's more likely of the two. I'm not sure if she's she's got as many points as Kelly has, though, so maybe, yeah, maybe. But, but of, the, of the two, I would probably say she could make five finals in a row. More than he, more than he could. Yeah. Is that fair? Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she did get the other one, and I don't think it's gonna happen for anybody. But it was just still, we published this just in this moment where it's like, oh shit, Kelly got kicked off tour, and then it was like, oh well, by the way, 
he could still win, just could technically. Uh, a lot of things are possible, I guess. Actually, in France, nothing's possible. I like to say that here. Just it's not possible. Um, so I, that's pretty much what you just said. So I guess you are uh, you are uh, very kind of invested in the community here, aren't you? Twenty years. Yeah, I um. I saw a few comments on this one. Some people get a bit exorcised about um, whether Kelly should be there or not. It's, it's a bit, of, a bit of, a little bit of pearl clutching from certain quarters. Um, who cares? I just, does it matter that much? He says or not? Who cares? I don't know. I just yeah. Yeah. It'd be good if he's if he's if he's if he's there and it's good. But if he's not, it doesn't. It's not bad either. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of. I, I think. I don't think there's many events where you sort of gutted he's not there. If he's there, it's cool. But if he's not, it's not like sad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. But at the same time, I think like when I think about this, I think about like, you know how if uh, if like a other sports person is going to retire and they go like even when they have their last away game in every different arena, it's just like a whole event and spectacle. And people like if they had a great career. They kind of get honored. And it's like this kind of goodbye tour. It feels weird to me that that wouldn't happen with Kelly. Like if, if he just disappeared midway, you wouldn't have that. So I hope he just announces that it will be his last tour, like year and you'll get that. Cause I mostly agree with you. Like, yeah, sometimes he's there. Sometimes he's not, who cares? But if he has this away tour, I feel like we'll just get these hilarious moments of like, just like a fucking 50 year old person crying next to him for some reason, for just no reason at all. Like round three heat Portugal and somebody just on the beach in full tears because it's the last time they saw Kelly's there. I don't want that stolen from me as a fan, because if you're on the beach crying next to Kelly Slater, because he served his last seat at the location next to you and, and it, the tears are flowing, then get evaluated. I guess the real emotional one would be the surf ranch fans. And they'll be like, this is the last time we're going to get to see Kelly surf the surf ranch ever. Unless you got 350 grand and you could just hire it for the day and you get him and Raimana thrown in or whatever it costs. So, a little asterisk there. If, you, if you're the ultra, if you're the ultra wealthy, you probably get to see himself surf ranch again. But otherwise, yeah, it's um, it's gonna tug on the heartstrings. Yeah, yeah. Well, so Kelly and Joan got the ones for the rest of the season. They're both. I mean, Kelly has been healthy. He's been surfing every event. Joan just came back. Uh, didn't have a great result, but she deserves it. She's obviously finished top five. It makes sense to have her back on. And then Miguel Pupo and Brisa Hennessy got the, you won't see them for the rest of this year, but they'll be on for 2024. That to me was a little bit funny. A little bit funny. I feel like there's some people that could build some cases. Like people are going Kelly and Ramsey and like, look, Ramsey is like just getting back into surfing now. I heard, um, I think his goal is to still qualify for the Olympics. He's got the ISA world games, May 30 to June 7. So I think he's like looking at that as like his return to like full form. Um, so I don't think he should have been straight back on the CT, but for like, he spent 11 years trying to get there and to not even give him one event. And then he's just gone. Like, I don't know why it went to Miggy over him. I know Miggy, it sucks. He got hurt in Portugal, but like that almost feels like more of a sting to Ramsey. And then Jadson as well. He got hurt at pipe. Hasn't seen an event since then. He's getting booted. Like it feels weirder to just overlook these people and just give it to Miggy. Who's like kind of probably going to make the cut, but I don't know. That's sketchy. And then Sophie McCulloch too. She was injured for two events and they're giving it to, to Brissa who has been fully fine. So like that, that to me is more sketchy. I don't think it has much to do with Kelly, but I feel like there's a few people in, in that mix that have a right to be 
not so thrilled. But we've already, they set the precedent with the Liam O'Brien last year. He got injured, like literally warming up in the event for pipes similar to Ramsey. So I think we kind of knew maybe that Ramsey probably wasn't going to get it. Miguel Pippa won an event last year, did he? Did he win T2? Yeah. He did. He, he did win the last one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so, whoa. Company message I'll just, guy. I'll just, I mean, I love, I love Ramsey, but I'll just say, if it took you 11 years to qualify for tour, does that, that might suggest that statistically you you might be less likely to make the cut. Not like, ooh, we've got this 31-year-old sensation coming on tour. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not saying that he is amazing. I'm not saying he isn't. I'm just, I'm just saying, if you just, just look at the cold, hard stats, that might suggest that, um, yeah, that maybe he wasn't going to storm it and make the cut anyway. Who knows? I would have backed him to make the cut, but yeah, well, well he hasn't it's a good, he hasn't surfed. It's a good point. And I think with this like Olympic thing, which obviously would be a big focus for him, it's almost... I'd almost build an argument that he's like, it's better that he didn't get to surf any CT events. Cause like, I feel like he's probably more confident now than he would be if like, say he was just fully fine. He didn't get hurt and got kind of smashed on the CT. His confidence would be bruised. Whereas right now he's like, Oh, I probably would have top five. You know, if he, he could still be thinking like that and not have the reality suggesting otherwise. Um, so it's almost like, yeah, he could, he could just say in his head that like, oh, well, I made it and I would have been top five. So now I'm going to go smash everybody and qualify for the Olympics. And so, because dealing with reality is fucking annoying. It's just you look at the facts of life sometimes and you're like, this sucks. I'm not that good at this life thing. And um, he doesn't really have to do that with the CT now. He just kind of think that like after those 11 years, he would have smashed everybody. Maybe won the title. And so he gets to live in fantasy land. So we're, we're a little bit jealous of that. I could I can feel some jealousy, some envy there. Yes, wild cards. Whew. Um, exciting times. Yeah, you love them. Yeah. You love them. Well, I just hope, other than uh, seeing grown adults cry for no reason, and like, just let's just picture this shit rainy day, and it's just somebody really bawling somewhere. I'm, I'm seeing Portugal, I got to be honest. But other than that, the only other request I have here is for the WSL to change rules again and just like give them, give them an event win or world title. Just bend them a little bit more. They had to bend them a little bit already. They changed the rules in March to say that if he got this thing, he could keep points anyway if you had already won a world title or made the top five. So after saying, hey, if you're a wild card, you can't earn points earlier this year, they walked it back a bit, gave these uh, world champs, these final five people a little bit better treatment. I would just say, Bend it a little bit more and give them a fucking event win a world title. Just, just come on. If you're gonna bend them, break if you them. get them, if you get them, massage the data. Go deep tissue. That's my motto. <laughs> go, go Turkish, Swedish. Yeah, exactly. Go full body. All right, on to the next one. The most popular surfboard models of the past year. Part one is out now. Part two will probably be out by the time you are listening to this. It kind of depends on when this WA comp wraps, which I'm hearing could probably be today, hours after we record this. We'll get to that later. Anyway, two parts. We talked to 10 of the biggest surfboard brands in the world, and we have a voice note from Holden, who wrote this story and whose last name still scares me due to its lack of vowels. Paul, you know how to say his last name? Well, Mikey, Mikey says Turnka. Which is really cute. Trinka. Yeah, well, how would you say it? I always thought it was Trinka. Um, yeah, I'm more I don't, like Camp Trinka. I should ask him one day, but I, I thought it was a I thought it was a made up name. I thought it was a pen name. Well, I mean, that's coming from your history of of 
you have a long history of this, so of course it's a strong name. I like it. <laughs> well, you had some strong. Um, I like it a lot. You had some strong pen names in your day too, Paul. Anyway, let's hear from Holden, and then we'll dissect it a little bit more. What's up, guys? Holden Turkey here. In case you're wondering how to pronounce my grammatically questionable last name. I just got a story up on the site that I'm pretty stoked on. I spent a couple months working on it, just talking to shapers and surfboard brands about which boards did the best and the worst for them in 2022. It's titled The Most Popular Surfboard Models of the Past Year, which is admittedly a clunky title, but I think it accurately depicts what the piece is about. Um, and really, I wasn't looking to compare the numbers or relative financial size of each brand. I was more hoping to explore the modern environment of surfboard sales and where each brand fits into it and how the consumer perceives each brand. Uh, one of my favorite parts of doing the interviews was in my conversation with Hayden Cox. He pointed out that each surfboard brand has a close attachment to the personal nature of each shaper. And talking to all the brands and all the different shapers, it was really apparent that they conceptualize the way their brand runs and how they view success and where they fit into the modern world of surfboard shaping so differently. There's clearly not one way to operate a successful surfboard company. I mean, brands like Channel Islands or Sharpie have international licensing deals and they came to the table with numbers and a clear marketing insight for each region. Whereas others like Christian Bradley or even Hayden came with more philosophical ideas on what it feels like to be a modern surfboard shaper. One of my favorite parts of the interview process was actually asking brands which boards did the worst for them in 2022, just because it seemed like it caught a lot of them off guard. And I think their answers showed what their consumers probably believe that they're the worst at. Some of the brands dodged the question, as expected, but some of them are really willing to acknowledge their mistakes and give constructive reasons as to why a surfboard didn't do very well for them. Uh, Matt Biolis had a great explanation for why their asymmetrical board did so poorly. He said, I think we're just a mainstream brand, and the fringe guys who really get what asyms are about aren't just walking into shops and buying them. It's a custom order, boutique sort of thing. We tried to take it to the surface, and it didn't work. And then another topic that inevitably arose was the idea of high-performance brands selling mid-lengths. Um, there are quite a few brands that had mid-lengths as their best seller, and pretty much all of these brands thought that they were the first to bring mid-lengths into the periphery for a high-performance brand. I thought that was hilarious. I don't know who the first one actually was, but um, there may be a story coming on that soon. For now, I hope you guys enjoy the piece, and I will be dreading having to listen to my voice on the podcast <laughs> I think I've done this recording like 50 times. So uh, finally made it through. Cheers, guys. All right. Any surprises here, Paul? I think as we speak, part one is only live, but anything jump out to you in that first part? Some surprises in what you learned at, uh, about what boards are flying off the shelves? Uh, maybe the maybe I just slightly raised one eye about the chili mid-strength being the, being the bestseller. I wouldn't necessarily associate those sort of boards with, with chili. I also thought they were like real kind of performance pointy ones you're angry of a sort of boards so maybe that yeah otherwise not no not 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 loads of surprises i would like to see the figures though that'd be cool wouldn't it I'd like to see the numbers yeah yeah they're a little 
a little bit cagey with that. A little bit cagey with that, as you might imagine. Don't want to give us too close a look under the hood, especially because we were asking best, second best, and worst. So I think they were they didn't want to give too much away, especially knowing that everybody was going to talk to us. Um, so I was happy that they just gave us the models. One thing, the chili thing surprised me. One thing I want to call out that I, I don't think it was a surprise, but just kind of funny is Sharp by saying their worst selling model is the fish. Why do they make that? Just it, who would buy that? If, who would buy, like, I feel like Sharp Eye has done such a good job of, like, cementing themselves as, like, the performance brand right now. Why even make, like, an awkward kind of fish board? I don't know. I just, that one fucked with me. Of course it's your least selling. Buckley's just showing no mercy on his anti-fish agenda, is he? He just will not be swayed at all. Still gets under your skin, no. doesn't it, mate? It really gets to you. I don't know. I, I, yeah, okay. You You know what? It does. It does. Fuck fish. I know you don't like it as a food, but I mean, it's that kneeboarder from San Diego, Steve, speaking of name, Liss, Lease. I don't know, some guy that was a kneeboarder invented it. And I get it. It changed surfboard design. You can go smaller. You're doing different things, twin fins, all that. But like the fact that there's still these fucking iterations of this thing coming out, it's, it's so many decades old. It hasn't changed that much. Why is Sharp Eye making it? Sharp I love your boards. You make great boards. Marcio's a great guy. I have nothing but nice things to say about that side of it, but fuck fish and especially fuck your fish. Maybe that's why you didn't get invited to Waco, because everyone from Stab is all they were getting their fishes ready and they're like, yeah, we're all gonna we're all gonna surf our fish. It's gonna be a really good time. And then they went, oh, oh Buckley. I like it. It's gonna it's gonna really it's gonna stink out the vibe. Maybe that's why they you didn't get the call up, mate. Just I'm just just speculating. Well, in your in your age as a surfboard one, I feel like you use fish as more of a blanket. Like when I say fish, I see you gotta have that big swallowtail, twin fin, like literally the one that Steve Lee's made in like the sixties, fifties, whatever that was. Um, that's the fish I'm angry about. Any like weirder, different, all fucking cut the nose off halfway, call it uh, asymmetrical. I'm fine with that. It's just more that that fish design that literally a guy made decades ago that people still have the audacity to charge money for and and claim as their own design. That that gets me good. Nazare's untold origin story and descent into a circus. Paul, I love it when you're on. We can talk about Nazare. <laughs> Not as much as I do. Uh, tell us about the mayor. Tell us about the mayor. Would we say untold? Would we say untold? I think this story might be told. I think this story might have been told. Oh, ooh, ooh. Surf yeah. Europe magazine coming yes. out. Oh, yeah, well, we told that. We did the stunt one too. You I've, should see Wavelength. I think I've read this on Stab a few times, haven't I? What, you did the rebranding one? <laughs> yeah, I liked, I've, I've just jumped to comments. I liked Taylor Paul's comment about he didn't think he was ready for another Nazare article, which I really liked. Uh, did that make you inspired to write another Nazare article? Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. I instantly tried to sort of have a quick brainstorm. Mm. Just sort of flesh out my next five Nazare stories. No, I thought this one, this was a, this was a cool story, well written. Um, the guy that uh, he's talking about the stuff in there a lot, Jose Gregorio, I know him, he's a buddy. He's a, he's a good dude. And I, I, I did know about him and Saka towing it, about 10 foot, something like that it was, it wasn't huge. But um, yeah, it's interesting, and um, yeah, more Naz. Um, more Naz is never enough, as the 
as the famous expression goes. More Naz. You can never get enough Naz. No. But no. this thing talks about those early days. Jose Peo was in the mix. Um, a really, really well-respected big wave guy from here. And so those guys have been towing it for a while. And everybody says, you know, there's kind of mentions of this throughout the HBO series, 100-foot wave. Like, we, we released this. We tried to time it up with that because that is airing out over the next few weeks now. I think they're two, maybe three episodes in as we speak. Um, season one, Dino Casimiro, the boogie boarder who sent Garrett the photo that got him over there, he's called out, but he wasn't necessarily thrilled with it. I think I think he looks at it, from what I understand, as like the HBO moment was when Garrett finally decided to start telling that side of the story because it seemed like from 2010 up until a year or two ago when that show came out, Garrett was just like, I discovered this place. And even we called out on his website, he still says he discovered it when in reality, people had been surfing it at all sizes for a long time, had skis out there, had safety protocols in place. So that's a little bit, just goes into that untold thing. And then the rest of it goes into modern NAS, which is quite a scene. Um, Pedro made a really good point in here. Pedro Ramos, the guy who wrote this. Because I've seen, like, sometimes I just look at the cam when it's decent size. I live, like, an hour away. And the amount of skis that are in the water on, like, a not an XXL day, just, like, a day that's maybe, like, six, eight-foot backs is fucking absurd. It's really jarring to look at. And at first, I was so confused by that. I was like, why are people that eager to tow, like, a wave that's maybe, like, a 15-foot face? And he made a really good point in that people need to practice somehow and like it's it's kind of nice that they practice on those days before just going out on the massive massive days so i thought that was some new information to the table have you have you seen the circus that it's become down there i know you know you didn't get to come and do your shots at the mayor and do your tow event this year which i was very sad about but have you um have you heard much from the the circus it's become any whispers from the lineup yeah well well, when I talked to Tony Loriano for, for that story that we did recently, also about Nazareth. Nazareth story. Yeah, he was saying that, yeah, like some days there's like 30 plus teams out there. It's like a bit, all, a bit, all a bit crazy. So, yeah, I guess I, I kind of knew that it was it was busy. Um, there aren't many places as well. I guess it mentions that in the story where, where you can literally rent the whole setup. You just get a driver and a ski and like everyone's just waiting for you at the dock, basically, to go ha- have a crack. Um, I thought Gialdo Merced's point was quite interesting, though, at the end, when he, he just said, like, everyone likes to kind of talk shit and stuff about Nazarene. It's become a bit of a, you know, a little, not a joke, but gets kind of, people like to diss it. But he said that there still is, like, you know, a sort of a pure kind of thing going on and there is kind of a, a, a legit side to it. You, you could, both can be simultaneously true. It, it can kind of be a bit of a, bit of a lame shit show, but it also can be legit, but just... Yeah, just depends what angle you take the photo from. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a really good point. And there's even a few photos in there. There's that quote about how, like sometimes there's ways out here that look like Mavericks, sometimes Jaws. It's not always just this like burger thing. Like, and you know, you do see 20, 30 foot waves just going like essentially square out there, which is not something that happens in many places. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a good point. I love that wave when it's small. But yeah, with that whole ski thing, so you mentioned it before, but you can just pay your way into a surf out there. Like there are services that if you just fish around a little bit, uh, start on Google, I'd recommend if you want to be a cowboy. Um, you could find people 
for 500 euro covers ski boards fuel they'll kind of assess you like go through an early session where your level is assessed and you get familiar with the safety protocols and from there it's 400 euro and they'll take you out like they'll just take it you could whip in um which is fucking wild it's uh pedro compared it to everest i think it's like it's got it's you know 100 foot wave this whole thing and um everest costs 50k so it's a better deal what do you think? You you strike me as a man who's climbed the mountain, Paul. You know, Nepal maybe. Have you been Nepal? No, but I, don't, I like the mountains, but I find it a bit unsettling. A little bit scared of heights. So that that's both big wave surfing and mountaineering out um, for me. Mm. Yeah, I've got sort of late onset, um, late onset sort of fear of heights. So no, I've not not really done not really done the mountains or or toe surfing, and I probably never will. I I I'd, I hope. Yeah. Not really my bag. Yeah, well, for 900 euro, you can uh, conquer your fears and write a novel about it. How about that? Sounds good. Sounds good. The Great Nazare novel. Yeah, the <laughs> Taylor Paul will read it. Um, there is a you know about the porn, right? About called Nazare Canyon. Hmm. How about that one? A porn? Yeah, there's a there's a Spanish porn film called Nazare Canyon that's set in Nazare, and all of the characters are like named with really similar sounding names to big wave surfers. I'll send you the link. But wow. I, this sounds incredible. Please do. I'm very excited. Best board shorts and swimwear of 2023. Summer is coming around in the Northern Hemi. It's hot here in France today. What, 25, 26? Wow. Time for another pair of board shorts or some swimwear. We have Corey Stevens who ran this shoot, ran this project for us. She's got a little voice note to break it down. Let's hear from her. Hey guys. Yeah, so my co-producer Garrett and I spent a week in Costa Rica, um, just really working hard, surfing, modeling, you know, eating tropical fruit. Um, no, but we were testing out 12 of the best brands in board shorts and swimwear. And what we learned is that basically in this day and age, um, we live in a really special time where both technology and uh, aesthetics have come to this really beautiful, harmonious place where you don't have to choose between one or the other. Um, across the board, we just found that brands have found a really nice balance of fit and comfort and just a joyousness of <laughs> wearing, wearability, whatever you want to call it, um, and also looking good. So. We just, we just are so lucky to be living in this time of just, you know, getting to wear what we want and feel good in the water. Um, functionality is high. We just had a great time. We just felt super good in all of the products. And um, yeah, there just really wasn't a bad one in the bunch. So super excited to share this review of some big names and some smaller brands that um, I'm really excited to share with the world and, and get their products out there because they're really worthy of, um, of your, you're trying them out in the water. So yeah, go check it out on stabmag.com. Best board shorts and swimwear of 2023. What is the best pair of board shorts you've ever owned? You gotta have one pair that sticks out. Can I have two? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, a close sort of second or joint first. I had some, do you remember North Shore Underground, NSU? Remember them? Um, no. Okay. Well, they were sort of, yeah, they were a brand from, from the North Shore in the 90s. And I had these quite shiny, thick ones. 
they had a massive NSU down the side. I was, I was really stoked on them. They were like, when I was back home, they were like my I've been to Hawaii kind of statement. Um, oh, yeah. Until my friend that I live with told me that NSU is like a disease of the the sort of helmet of the sort of end of the penis <laughs> and he he'd had it and he's like why have you got the name of a bell end disease on your shorts so <laughs> they were good shorts though i was like yeah i was like brah don't don't say that if you got the north shore um but the best were i had some sick globe quite short shorts they were like the strange rumbling sort of special edition mm. i had two pairs of them I lent one to Monday and he lost them immediately because that's what he does with, with stuff. <laughs> and the other ones I kept for ages and loads of good stuff happened to me in them. They were epic. How about you? What's your favourite trunks of all time, Buck? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not ready to move on. What colour were these NSU ones? Black. Can't black but shiny. Just black. Okay. Shiny black and the logo is kind of green and red. Like obviously a bit camo and a bit sort of tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Did one season, of, did a month over there, started coming back, asking everybody to take their slippers off before entering his house. Exactly. That's exactly right. No real questions on the Globe one. I mean, I always I always thought they made really good products. Like, I love their clothing. I had a Globe shirt that I loved. I had a pair of board shirts that I loved. It's not my favorite, but um, I always thought that they made clothing really tastefully. So I was bummed to see them kind of pull out of that. Um, I do want to comment a little bit on the the length range there. Like one, I would imagine was well below the knee, and then these kind of more fruity Euro ones get in the mix. So I guess you're a man of uh of range. So I just yeah, wanna... yeah, they were both both were pretty sh- both were pretty short actually. Both were pretty short. The North Shore ones. Yeah, for the time they were, they were were definitely above the knee. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the other ones were really short. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like a short short, mate. What makes surfers such good stunt people? This story is by Christian Bocut. He's a younger fella. I think he's actually graduating from college as we speak, but very eager and he he just comes up with these weirder ideas like i this is just a question that i would have never asked or thought that i would to be honest even be that interested in the answer but he seemed passionate about it so you know what christian have at it and so he spoke with derek dorner buzzy kerbox and patrick millen three people who've made some money doing stunt work that also have experienced pro surfers and i fucking love this read um again he he wrote this one about a band called sunroom that again i wasn't uh I wasn't super drawn to in the beginning and he wrote, I'm like, this is really good. Like he did great. This is the same thing where I was like, I don't know. I don't know if it makes people good stunt people. And uh, he nailed it. Um, while I was preparing for this podcast, cause like I said, he talked to Derek Dorner. I realized who Derek, by the way, he was chosen to die for by Patrick Swayze. He was chosen to die at the end of point break. And he gave us this incredible quote about that whole experience. And I was looking around and then I realized that we were not the first surf media outlet that had been down this path with DD. Paul, you got a story here. Yeah. I think once again, I I beat, I beat Bo Cut to the fucking, to the scoop here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Yeah. He may be eager Buckley, but he's, um, 
yeah, it just wasn't keen enough because I talked to Derek Doner a couple of years ago, I think it was, um, about Point Break as it goes. Yeah, that's the story you're talking about, I think. And he was awesome. We did a little FaceTime. He um, he showed me around his sort of yard and I think he's at Backyards, something like that, on the North Shore. And um, yeah, he told me all, all about the working on, on, on Point Break and hanging out with, with Swayze and with Keanu Reeves. Um, it was a really good time. He um, it was a great... Yeah, it was, it was cool to talk to him. He, 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 he still remembers it well. And um, that's that was cool. But the really cool part is Patrick Swayze's wife somehow like saw the story and emailed me. Um, yeah, Lisa Naimi is her maiden name. And um, she was a dancing... I think they met. She was like his dance coach, I think, because I did a bit of research afterwards on Dirty Dancing. And that's how she met Swayze. And they fell in love and... Yeah, um, she was really nice and very, very complimentary about, about, about Dee about Derek. So that's cool. And surfers are good stuntmen because they're brave and handsome and fit and strong. Mm, mm. Well, yeah, we went down. Derek told us that. Um, Christian legit tried to answer that question that he posed in the title uh, and kind of said he actually veered away from the handsome thing. He said, you know what? That would be an easy answer, but it's because that we're pretty much used to being having to perform under pressure in intense situations, especially like I think the people who are doing this work tend to have had careers in heavier waves. Um, the most interesting person that I think he spoke to here is a guy named Pat Millen, who had a career. I remember weird memory thing, like complete thing that should not exist in my brain, but it does. Uh, he wrote for Zoo York, I think, at one point. He talks about how he was going through all these different uh, phases where he'd be with the company and they'd get some cash and he'd have a year or two. And then it was always this kind of reset thing. He was like getting tired of it. Um, and he charged. He was a madman. He's from San Diego. He fucking charged. Um, and so he decided that he wanted to be a stuntman instead. And his story is fascinating because he went beyond just the the hey we're we're doing a surf movie and we need somebody to fall in a big wave which is what derek did and now just does stuff like he's in yellowstone he's in all these movies that and films shows sorry that i've heard of so that was an interesting one because he talked to derek and buzzy kind of had a career in a little bit of both buzzy Kerbox, he did some surf stuff and then that kind of became some other stuff too um and pat was just like went this whole thing and he says learn how to get hit by cars if you want to do it he's just a fascinating guy there's we have a video of him in there kind of getting thrown into a tree showing what like his kind of job is and contrary to your point about good looks he is bald and he said that he almost always gets uh casted to do the stunt work for the bad guy because <laughs> bad guys are always bald so that was yeah, right that on. was fun to read too well if you um if you had a sort of a stunt double buck who or who would you be a stunt double for, would you think? Who are you a sort of slightly uglier version, but passable version of, sort of from behind? Uh, I'm not sure. I think a homeless person told me, who did they say? That was a while ago. I had a, a homeless person in LA tell me once that, do you have an idea for me? I'm going to say Fred Savage from The Wonder Years, but when he's, when he's older. Okay. The Wonder Years <laughs> for Fred Savage. I think Grown Up Savage. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you two would just go around together and you'd hang out in, in Hollywood or whatever. You'd just like he'd make you wait in the car and then he'd try and get you try and get you a gig or whatever. You'd be a bit of a quite big on the union side of it, I would say. Yeah. 
which would get you into trouble and you, you know they don't, they don't really like you around the directors yeah. are kind of a bit over you but i think just because fred's got so many contacts in the industry i think you'd still get work mm. i'll take it i'll take it how do you feel like you'd be good for anybody anybody come to mind for yourself uh i would see m- me more as the maybe the on-screen talent and I'll, i would i would have a stunt double mm. doing stuff for me just some yeah someone a little bit a little bit braver that wasn't scared of hurting their face uh doing stuff Monday? For, doing stuff for me yeah yeah kind of why not Let, let's throw him in there let's give him another, let's give him another shout out <laughs> one more one more oh all right well we will get into we'll see if we can make it in hollywood paul but we're gonna get to a surf in soon before we get there we are hours away i think hours away probably from the last day of the western australia margaret river pro um you know what? It used to be called the Drug Aware Margaret River Pro. And now I just think about all the children of Western Australia who are doing drugs now because they pulled out of surfing. So uh, shame on you, Drug Aware. Anyway, we are getting to the end of it. Paul, predictions. Who's going to win? Give me a male, female who's taking this thing out. Oh, um, I've had a fucking nightmare of my fantasy on this one, and it's really got to me. So all my confidence is shot. Ah. Um, Sort of second, I'm second guessing myself. Who's going to win? I think, I mean, John and Ethan are in the same heat, right? Aren't they? Which is John and Medina are opposite sides yeah, of the draw, though, so, so they can meet in the final. Think about that. Yeah, I'm going to go. It's boring to say John's going to win, so I'm going to go with Medina for the win for the boys. Mm. And for the girls, I'm going to go with. Is Bronte still in? Bronte McCauley? Yeah, fucking hell. These are my two picks. She's still I in. thought I was going to go wild with, with this. Yeah. God damn it, Paul, you stole my pick. Is she in? Yeah, I'm going to go Bronte. She's awesome. She's from over there. Yeah, Bronte McCauley for the girls. Wow. Two goofy fits. Well, I was hoping we disagree, but How about... well, we're, we're aligned here. Um, I had that written. Is that what yeah, you've got? Yeah. I thought, I was like, oh, you're going an easy one with Gabe, kind of. Go Bronte, mix it up a little bit. But uh, no, that's what I had. So I guess you heard it here first. We are uh, oracles. So that's what we got. Yeah, I should just just slightly asterisk that by saying I picked I picked Kanoe Igarashi to win the first three events as well. <laughs> so, yeah, I had a day at Bell's where I went zero for eight uh, betting. So again, luckily by the time people hear this, I think the after just that's why I wanted to do this because that way we just uh, either look really smart or very unsmart, and it will likely be the latter. Anyway, before we get to a surf sin. A few more things to keep your eye out for. One thing just a general happening in the surf world. We talked about it on here before, but Magic Seaweed is going to officially RIP in peace on May 15th. Um, I plan on writing a proper obituary for the service. I'll read it aloud on here when the day comes. Uh, some things coming up. We have Stab in the Dark, episode one, dropping next week. We have a cusp dropping with stace and snake right after wa wraps it'd be probably maybe 48 24 hours after this podcast is live we have an interview with kolohan dino who did not make the mid-year cut and is now trying to help some people out on the challenger series and then paul you have submitted a really interesting story about a forest camp kind of commune vibes in france for many years ago with the great carwin so that's an interesting one that we'll be dropping next week as well 
And you've got a food one coming too, right? You're going to piss people off, uh, which is based off their cuisine that they eat in the region, I believe. Yeah, loads of good stuff coming up. People like food, people like surfing, but what's the best thing to eat after surfing? Bug, I investigated. Um, I, don't know if, mm. I don't know if bow cuts secretly work on something like this as well, but if so, unlucky. All right, and now it is time for a surf sin. We have, I think it's our first shaper to confess. We have Hatcho Shapes that we're going to hear from here. We will dissect it. It's already been on Instagram. There's a lot of debate there, as always, but let's hear it, and then we'll get into it. Hatcho Shapes here with a surf scene. So I'm going backside down the line on about a two-foot day, and a longboarder is paddling out. I pump and set a high line to indicate I'm going in front of him. If a longboarder just goes from here, it'd be about five meters clear. You have to keep padding, paddling pretty consistently to get even close to my line at all. A few more meters down the line and the longboarder is paddling lightly and I assume he's slowing down because he's seen me and I commit to my line. To my chagrin, the longboarder paddles harder again at the end as if to try and poke the nose under the lip before it fully breaks. I don't have the speed to do a floater and despite my best efforts, my right fin hits the front of his board. We get back to the lineup and he lights me up. I apologize, but tell him sternly, basically mate, it's your own fault and you should have gone for the firm. So uh, I ruined this guy's day and told him it's his own fault. What's my penance? A lot of people are saying that this is no sin. Did you sense that? Yeah, I, there was a lot of that sort of stuff, and technically, I can I see that I see the point of view. However, I think there's a there's a couple of bit things I picked up on that I thought worth mentioning. So I think there's always you can always find a sin in almost any action, can't you? Even if it's just a thought yeah. crime. So mm. yeah, although I think he was technically in the right, and the 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 paddlers. Sort of responsibilities to get out of the way. However, I still found still found a bit of sin. What do you come on? Go on. Well, I just I just got a couple of questions really, Buck. Actually, so he says he was like trying to kind of go fast down the line, but then he said he didn't have enough speed to do a floater. I just didn't really get that. It's like might not have had enough speed to do an air, but like you always got enough speed to do a floater. Slow floater is one of my favourite manoeuvres. So. Didn't really, didn't really, didn't really get that. But but anyway, yeah. Anytime there's a there's a collision, I don't know if it's ever really a hundred percent someone's fault. You know, I, I'm going with the ninety ten on this. So yeah, it's ninety percent ninety percent the longboarder's fault. Um, however, if you still hit someone, I don't know. You probably probably could have avoided it. Also, if it's just two foot, is any wave really worth kind of a collision on two foot day? I don't know, that feels a little bit sinful. Also, backhand? It's going backhand on a two-foot day. Who does that? Yeah, that kind of, that freaked me out too, especially as like trying to stay high backside. I was like, that's like the worst feeling in surfing to me is like staying, staying high backside and then trying to do a floater. Backside floaters, ugh, unless you do the little rock and roll thing like your Corey Lopez in 2003. Um, just a backside floater, no thank you. So I'm... I was kind of picking up on these same things, especially that just like backside highline and enough speed to do a floater. Just thinking about like a backside speed floater anyway, just kind of disgusting to me. Um, I kind of disagree with you on the, on the collision thing. I think 
surf collisions are one of my favorite sports. Uh, I think they're funny. <laughs> it's it's when people collide on a wave. To me, that's always funny, and it's fun to watch. And I know that sometimes it hurts people. I've never heard of an instance in which somebody died that way. Um, I have a scar in my face from getting a board shot at my face once. That that's a collision. I don't care. So I feel like I have a. That's separate from my eye injury, by the way, too. I just in this like six month span, I copped a board in the face, got the scar on my eye, and then got another eye and lost the sight. But anyway, so I feel like I'm allowed to say that I encourage surf collisions because they're funny. Uh, so I back it. Um, that said. I think when you're in that thing, like, cause you're trying to read, like you're reading the wave. And I think, especially we're talking about board shorts and losing your virginity in them. And in the summer when it's really crowded, you don't have to just read the wave. You have to read the crowd. And that even means on the wave sometimes like there's, we've both experienced it around here where if it's like a hot summer day, there are literally, it's a sea of people with boards and it's like almost just as fun to surf the wave as it is to surf through the crowd. You just have to react and like, know that these people don't know what they're doing and play it. Um, so I think you got to be ready for everything. And where I think he failed is he didn't at least like, if your back's up against the wall like that, literally, you at least got to try to Ollie. Um, and yeah, you look like the biggest fuckwit in the world. If you don't Ollie, <laughs> and you just look like you're trying to be a hero. Um, but, but at the same time, Buckley's never not done an Ollie on a wave. Even if there's no one paddling up the face, that's just your thing. <laughs> I, Come I, on, I mate. do like the Ollie. Oh, <laughs> um, what's just, what's your stance on, you know, when you paddle up, you paddle up the wave, lifting your, lifting your feet up behind you. So your feet aren't in the way. What's your, what's your view on that? Have you got a, have you got a strong opinion either way? Um, I think if it's a barreling wave, it's okay. I think it's like, do everything you can to get out of the way when the wave is hollow. But, if you're doing it on like a two foot wave, like desperately trying to get away from like somebody's chance to like speed around a crumbly lip, then like that's just kind of pointless. Just deal with the feet. Just in many cultures, a foot in the face is a very erotic thing. Yeah, do you remember um, the photographer Pete Frieden? Remember him? You must remember him. He's pr- uh-huh. prolific, prolific Pete Frieden at surfing mag. He ran my foot over at Mundaka. Yeah, and then really. And he like wasn't super sorry. He just kind of went like, sort of, "Fuck you." I was like, mm. I was "Wow." Like, I was like, "Right on." And if you could just um, yeah, if you just send me that we transfer, mate, and I'll um, I'll send you, I'll send you the money. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Those are always weird ones where there's, like, at a wave, it's pretty intense, like local vibes. When two non-locals have an incident, and it's like you can't really blow up, but at the same time sometimes somebody even feels like they should blow up because it's like intense and like people shouldn't be in a row. Those are always weird ones when it's uh two non-locals at like a heavier spot. Anyway, penance, mine's simple for you, Hacho. I'm focusing on that Ollie thing. You have to attempt to Ollie something instead of this time it being, you know, a, a person or a board because you failed to try this time, you have to do it over some sort of a rock. Like you have to risk uh, your own board, your own body to Ollie over a rock. And uh, it's that simple. Yeah, I think I think I gotta say my your penance was good, but I think mine's better. So I always think when something goes wrong, the most important thing in any any sort of adversity or any conflict is to look at things from the other person's point of view. Um, you know, to just just take a few steps in their shoes and like really really look at the world from the sort of adversary's perspective. So I think I'd quite like to see some floaters on a longboard as a penance. So basically, it needs to commit to. A period of time, let's say a couple, 
couple of weeks on a on a I'm I'm going for a high performance longbow with a tail pad. That's important. And I think that um Oh no. And I, <laughs> and I think just just really working on the backhand floaters, um, but not with loads of speed. So just kind of yeah, working on the slow backhand floats on a long board. Um give a give <laughs> yeah, because that's you know it's punishing also for for the person trying to do that, but also everyone watching as well, just or anyone just even knows about it, you and me in some way we're we're sort of punished just with that knowledge. So yeah, that's my penance book. Wow, well the world is going to suffer for these sins. Okay, well two choices, do them all, do them both. Uh, shout out Joel Tudor, you had a great comment. That's a comment I want to call out. Uh, just saying that person was wrong, just like skating. And that's all we got for you this week. So. Um, Anyway, go get yourself some North Shore Underground board shorts and on your way. That is all we have for you this week, folks. As always, thanks for listening. Stay away from fish. Stay out of prison.